You wouldn't necessarily have to understand anything about the men's clothing industry to appreciate this next little bit of nonsense. Here are two partners who manufacture men's clothing, men's suits. One of the partners is going to Rome where he's privileged to have an audience with His Holiness, Pope Paul. And when he returns to the city of New York, his partner asks, what kind of a fellow's the Pope? He says, 39 short. <laughs> There isn't a soul within the hearing of my voice that doesn't know what's going on in the world today. Because that's true. Can't you just imagine these two adorable little women in their 80s discussing world affairs and world politics in their 80s, mind you. And one little 80-year-old says to her girlfriend who is 84, What do you think about that, Chinese? The other one says, I'll tell you the truth, on a yellow tablecloth it would look beautiful. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, this week we have Dan Schlissel from Stand Up Comedy. Oh, fuck. Let's try that again, Stand Up Comedy. <laughs> God damn it. Let's try that again. From all of it. Uh, yeah, from all of Stand Up Comedy. Everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, Dan Schlissel from Stand Up Records is here. Hi there. So you wanted to talk about Myron Cohen. I did. I uh, I, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to make this, but uh, right. uh, I wanted to talk about Myron Cohen for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, very great comic, you know, of the Ed Sullivan era, of the Catskills era. Sure. Uh, you know, he didn't change his name to become anglicized. Right. He stayed very Jewish. Mm -hmm. uh, and also because his comedy is out of time and yet timeless. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's the reason I really picked him. And it also, there's other personal reasons I'll get into in a little bit okay. as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect because, again, you picked it. And it's like when people surprise me, I'm very grateful. But I'm always like, oh, shit, what am I going to have to say about it? So I did a little research. And like we were just saying before this. You, all you can really find is that he was Jewish, he was in New York, and he was a haberdasher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the main thing. You know? <laughs> the, ma the main beats of it. Uh, you know, the album that we're talking about, by the way, is Everybody Gotta Be Someplace. Yes. Uh, there were two other albums that he did mm -hmm. as well that you can find if you hunt. Mm -hmm. uh, I know he was a European immigrant. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what country. Okay. I know that he passed away in the 80s. Yeah. You know, he was quite quite old. Yeah. And he seemed quite old, even on the <laughs> album cover. Yeah. And there's also a, a, an on-location DVD that you can get from that series that was of oh. stuff that was on HBO in the mm -hmm. 80s. Oh, that's awesome. Early 80s. Um, he was in the garment business, and in the garment business, people don't realize now, New York was where, like, all the clothes in America was made. Right, right. So, I mean, like, on 7th Avenue... That's like where Meyer Lansky and Bugsy right. Siegel started their, the Jewish Mafia. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a very like tight, controlled area, mm -hmm. uh, much like the Diamond uh, District is now, but yeah. not not controlled security wise. Sure. Just business was regulated, mm -hmm. and in order, everyone was anyone who was a salesman was basically selling the same stuff. Mm -hmm. So the way that you got by was by being. <clears throat> A, you know, a raconteur and a storyteller and, sure. you know, having a little bit of flair. And that's what Myron Cohen was. Yeah. He was a salesman, mm -hmm. the ultimate salesman, right. a man who would tell you a story and ingratiate himself upon you. Mm -hmm. And you wanted to buy something because you like Myron. Yeah. Myron's going to come by. You got to hear this story Myron has to tell. <laughs> right. That's right. the tradition of Myron Cohen. Yeah. Now I say it's out of time because it's ethnic humor. Sure. 
Sure. And, you know, he would do a little bit of Italian, a little bit, you know, Spanish, a little this, a little Irish. Mm -hmm. But the main focus was Eastern European, Yiddish, native-speaking Jews. Yeah. Now, my personal reason is Mm -hmm. almost everyone like that that I'm related to, I'm a first-generation U.S. citizen. Okay. My parents emigrated in the 60s from Israel. Mm -hmm. Other relatives of mine emigrated after the war. Okay. So... I knew people who spoke like that. Yeah, yeah. My the next generation of my family won't know anybody who speaks like that. Right, right. They won't. They won't. That, that those voices won't be in their repertoire of memory. Sure. And Myron Cohen spoke to that mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I get to have my relatives back for a little while yeah. when I listen to them, and that is a gift that's immeasurable. And now it's also very personal, so I don't sure. know if it's for everybody. But his stories are so fantastic oh, yeah. and you know he selectively drops names of venues and of other sure. performers yeah. to let you know that he is successful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's also a jewish thing like look i'm a success don't worry about me okay everything's good yeah so i you know he lets you know he lets you in on his life and you feel like oh, i like this guy i want to follow his stories right and some of the jokes are wind up becoming hackneyed over time right but, but you can tell this is a guy who's been telling them since the beginning of mm-hmm. you know he didn't steal it from somebody he's sure. so that's kind of what i like about him. yeah i mean that's part of the charm obviously i mean yeah. you know somebody i mean i guess one of the stories i read was, was just you know the simple like you're really funny Ryan. you should try doing this on stage yes know? and of course he's had a repertoire this is what he used to get to know people of course that stuff's 30 40 years old or however old it was at the time he's telling it of course it's going to be kind of hackneyed but yeah like but i mean he, say, he breathes like, a freshness into it and you can mm-hmm. tell he's he is a master storyteller, oh, yeah. and he's a master of bringing you in and showing you that he's a friendly guy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, those things, they just appeal to... Maybe it's just uniquely me, but I think there's it's a more unique to humanity sure. through the focus of, mm-hmm. you know, the Eastern European immigrant New York Jew. Yeah, yeah, no, and I mean, it's so beautifully conversational, and the and just the flow of obviously knowing these accents, and then it's I think a more impressive too if you listen to his natural speaking voice too because he doesn't have a trace. Maybe he's worked on it, but doesn't have a trace of an accent. And he's an immigrant. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, like you that's know? a fantastic thing. And there's a deeper tradition as well. Like if you read about Jerry Seinfeld, you know his dad was a salesman selling mm-hmm. signs. Yeah. You know, you know Rodney Dangerfield was a shingle salesman. Mm-hmm. You know, so like there's this tradition of East Coast Euro- uh, Jewish Europe. European mm-hmm. salesman and becoming in, forming into comedy, right? Right. And I mean, Seinfeld was such a big impact. Well, Seinfeld couldn't have happened without dudes like Rodney Dangerfield and Myron Cohen, right? Right. Of course. So yeah. I mean, like that part of things, it, it gives you a great continuity once you know the wider aspect. Of mm-hmm. it. You don't. Uh, I mean, I, and I maybe I don't want to paint too broad of a stroke here, but like you don't ethnic comedy or comedy that comes from very strongly ethnic roots i feel like people avoid so as to avoid alienating people now, especially now in today's you know, you know politically correct you the only way you really have it is you have some latin comedy mm-hmm. you have some urban black comedy yeah. you know urban or otherwise black sure and then you have nothing else it's all just a great to put it to use a bad phrase it's a whitewash right right yeah <laughs> it's true and so i mean it's nice to ha- be able to go well you know myron wasn't bringing ethnic hatred into anything no 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 right you know, right so i mean like it's nice to be able to go back and visit that in a way where it's like oh this is kind of refreshing mm-hmm. yeah and it feels a little more like uh 
again, more of an homage, uh, more of an appreciation, obviously, for people that he grew up around and knew. It's not sort of a, not to insult Bill Dana, but it's not Jose Jimenez. It's not Jose Jimenez at all. You know, I mean, mean, they're utterly contemporary, but it's utterly not Jose Jimenez. Right, right, exactly. It's 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 complete from a place of respect. It's also not Buddy Hackett's Chinese waiter. Right. That isn't. That's another one. Yeah, yeah. So. Ah uh, man, I, and I, I don't know. I don't know what you could compare it to now. I guess that's the whole point. Really, you can't. And you I mean, know? that's what makes it out of time and yet timeless. Because there's mm-hmm. nothing. The way he tells the stories mm-hmm. gives it the timeless air. But there's yeah. nobody. I mean, yeah, you have you guys like David Sedaris or Dylan Brody, who's on my label, or Melinda Hill, who's on my label, that are storytellers. But yeah. you don't have that aspect to it, right? Right. Because you know, it's it's more of like, how does this relate? so specifically to me that it becomes yeah. to greater humanity whereas he's just telling human interest stories yeah he's not telling you necessarily things that have happened to him yeah he's not the modern alternative comic storyteller right, right he's right. telling you more universal stories and aren't i witty for sharing this with you <laughs> right 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 i mean and that's what i mean the, the, yeah. it's a he's still a salesman yeah he's never lost that that soul mm-hmm. do you uh, do you feel like that that's lost just out of us are we becoming more diverse and more mingled uh, as a people, or is it sheer political correctness? It's it's not sheer political correctness. I think we we certainly have our diverse pockets. You yeah. know, I mean, here in Los Angeles, you have Koreatown, sure. Little Armenia. I mean, mm-hmm. you have pockets, but it is becoming more intermingled than it ever has been. Yeah, I mean, we really are becoming a melting pot. Sure, and, and like the real distinctions aren't like ah, that guy's from Poland, screw him. That guy's mm-hmm. from Ireland, screw him. It's like it really is more racial and 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 you know in the terms of hispanic or american mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. white you know native american as they used to say in the old days right 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 right, right. uh before that meant something else mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i think it i think we're becoming more accepting as we move forward in time sure. humanity in, in general mm-hmm. so i think that that water that takes away from it and then you sure. also have the focus of political correctness yeah 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 it's nice to have these though as a snapshot of something that you you know, people are just aren't going to understand, but maybe, you know, they need to give it a listen, of course. Well, I don't think it's so un, un, un-understandable that it's sure, alien. Sure, that's no, the definitely part that's not. Yeah, it. yeah. The, the stories are definitely so just purely human. Of, yeah. Of course. Yeah, and they're, you know, like, this guy cheats, that guy eats, this guy does that. Right. You know what I mean? So it's stuff that's utterly timeless and relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the uh, for me, I mean, just growing up as a kid thinking I wanted to be Jewish, listening to the Yiddish is just so freaking fascinating to me. Yeah, you know. Absolutely, well, and especially like with Myron, I don't think it's just using the terms like, you know, he doesn't use anything racy, so he doesn't right. say putz or schmuck or anything right, right, like right, that. Right. Yeah, but it, you know, it's those words that we're used to, whereas he's showing you a speech pattern and a thought pattern. Yeah, yeah. And the thought pattern is really what's alien. The speech pattern's Mm -hmm. a little jarring. Right. But it's the thought pattern. It's the real difference between this is how a Yiddish mind thinks compared Mm -hmm. to a a Gentile mind. Yeah. And that's the part that... It's so fascinating to me. Well, that's what surprises me utterly to this day, that Mm -hmm. Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm has become popular to the greater part of America. Right. To me, that's an utter shock. Yeah. Even though I'm a comedy guy. Mm -hmm. To me, it's like, this is so Jewish. How do you... Why do you relate to it? Right. Right. This is for me, not for... (laughs) Sure. Okay, fine. I'm glad that it's like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there there are four characters in Seinfeld, but every one of them, without saying it, every one of them is Jewish. Mm -hmm. Costanza Mm -hmm. is Larry David. So how do you get more less Jewish than Larry David? Right, right, right. Or more Jewish, I guess. So, uh, you know, that's... Uh, it, I, I think all those things wind back through Myron. Finally, there they are at the bar of justice. The judge listens very carefully and says there's only one solution to your situation. A divorce. 
He says, I'll give him a divorce. He'll drop dead, I'll give him a divorce. <laughs> Suffered already with that creep for 30 years. <laughs> now I should make him happy. <laughs> she says, I wouldn't be satisfied till he leaves me the way he found me. And the judge says, that's ridiculous. Only a miracle can create that. She says, get the hell out of you. What kind of miracle? He found me a widow. Let him leave me a widow. And he's not recognized like a Rodney or like any of his sure. other peers of the time period. Right. Again, it's something that surprised me. Yeah. I, I, I'm something of a connoisseur. I mean, I'm not the expert, but I, I uh, again, I, I feel like I wish I had heard, heard of this. But know? now you have, and of that's course. the best part, is you get to exactly. hear the other two records for the first time. Exactly. And then you get to share them with other people. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what's so beautiful about this podcast. Yeah, I hope so. You know, and I hope people are... That's, that's the thing, is I want people to have that same exact experience. Like, what the fuck am I about to listen well, to? Well, that's you the know? thing. When I look through your logs of history and what mm-hmm. records you've covered, I'm like, this is the perfect place to talk this is heaven for me <laughs> did you did you when did you discover this album was it something your parents introduced you to uh, or is it through your own like studying through it? my own digging yeah. honestly uh i'll give a plug to uh, some of my competitors the folks at laugh.com uh-huh. about 10 years ago they went through they're only able to sell physical i think but okay. they were doing a, a heavy a list of reissues okay okay so i went through and either you know, traded with them or acquired or bought mm-hmm. all the catalog of reissues. Stiller wow. and Mira, Myron Cohen, Phyllis Diller, Moms Mabley. I mean, like, it's a stunning list of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they had had an agreement with MCA Universal, okay. so they, but you could only get it through them. To, I think you probably can still get a lot of this stuff at laugh.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's my plug for those guys. All right. <laughs> but uh, it utterly worth pursuing on CD if you can. Mm-hmm. And if not, please go look for it on vinyl. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I discovered it there. I knew the name, didn't know the material. Yeah. So I got the name, and, and that one was, Myron impressed me so much that I actually went out and bought copies of their two reissues mm-hmm. for my mom. Yeah. And my mom goes, I remember him, I just couldn't remember his name. Okay, yeah. Because my mom is old enough, you know, my mom sure. emigrated to America in 67. Okay, okay, yeah. So that's about the time of these records. Sure, sure, sure. So it makes sense, because, you know, we lived in Massachusetts, and uh, my aunt, who emigrated from Poland after the war, lived mm-hmm. in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time in New York. Yeah. So they, my parents so. would go out, and I would, you know, this is how I got into comedy. This uh-huh. is the secret of how I got into okay. comedy. My parents would go into the Bronx, leave me with my aunt and my cousins, mm-hmm. and say, he's got to be in bed by 7. Uh-huh. They would then go out for the evening with my godfather. Now, my godfather was her husband's, my aunt's husband's brother. Okay. My aunt, I was blood related to. She married her husband, and his his brother, you know, sure. was my godfather. Mm-hmm. The three of them mm-hmm. spoke like Myron. Okay. My dad spoke like Myron, but eventually, over time, developed like Myron into a not very accented, not very affected speech pattern. Okay. So, I mean, I had those voices, and they were just one generation above me. Yeah, yeah. And so, getting back to the story, my parents would leave with my godfather and say, he's got to be in bed by seven. Mm -hmm. The next day at breakfast, I would recite lines from Carson's monologue or (laughs) SNL. (laughs) You know, so, like, my aunt just, you know, go ahead, your cousins will keep an eye on you. And my cousins would let me stay up and watch this stuff. (laughs) And that's what really got me into comedy, amongst a couple other things from my mom. Yeah, yeah. So, I, That's so good. that combination of stuff eventually brought me to Myron and mm-hmm. allowed me to reintroduce him to my mom. Yeah. 
Was there anything, was, uh, was there any danger to it? Like just discovering comedy and doing something secret or was it just sheerly discovering? Yeah. Yeah. Because what happened, it, it develops continually from there. I could mm-hmm. bore you with stories of that. It's fine. One time we were on family <laughs> vacation. I couldn't tell you the year. I want to say it was 81. Okay. We were on family vacation, which meant one hotel room, two double beds. Uh-huh. Okay, my parents in one bed, my brother and I in another bed. Mm-hmm. And if they want, they didn't turn out the lights when it was for time for us to go to bed. Sure. So that's how I got to see Caddyshack. That's awesome. Which was my great introduction to Rodney Dangerfield. Uh-huh. So at that point, you know, he's doing HBO Young Comedian yeah. specials. Yeah. And I'm sneaking into another room to watch him on TV so that I don't get in trouble because yeah. I'm, you know, 11, right. 10, 12 years old. Mm hmm. And that was the revelation. Getting Rodney Dangerfield no respect on cassette yeah. was the revelation, you know? Mm-hmm. Hearing Eddie Murphy doing Delirious or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that album was Comedian. Uh, the he first had, one? Yeah. I, no, the first one was Eddie Murphy, which right. was not Comedian. The next one was Comedian. Comedian yeah. was the basic soundtrack to Delirious. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's right. Those two th- albums, mm-hmm. No Respect and Delirious, really kind of spurred and grew and kept watching and sneak the comics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from there, it's a short hop to Schimmel, and then, mm-hmm. you know, there's a short hop to the next guy, and then I come in at about Lewis Black. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's where I started my record label, yeah. was with him. Yeah. So... Do you, uh, uh, sorry, brain fart. I hate this once an episode at least. I, yeah, but I we can, can edit the brain fart. Yeah, sure, we can. Sometimes they're fun. Yeah. Uh, Todd Glass had a lot of fun with them the other day. He just kept ripping me a new one every time I had it. it, it <laughs> right. It he's, he, he's merciless, too. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, he, Todd Glass did an open mic in Minneapolis that I was at. Uh-huh. And he looks in like it's time for him to go on. And he's just talking to these two young comics. And I go, Todd. It's time for you to go on. And he just slaps me across the face and goes, don't ever interrupt me. So I just slapped him right across the face. I'm like, you're on. <laughs> oh, God, that's amazing. Yeah. Um. Without even missing a beat, I just slapped him right back. You're on. <laughs> Do you, uh, was it ever, I mean, I, I'll get to this early because, I mean, I'm curious to somebody who has a record label who releases vinyl. Yeah. Uh, are you a collector of vinyl specifically? Like, Not, I'm a collector of, uh, <laughs> um yeah i'm a collector of a lot of things yeah. to my wife's exasperation <laughs> i uh it's not just vinyl it's not just comedy vinyl yeah i mean i even have a collection of comedian action figures really i have a collection of regular action figures sure, too so sure. don't you know i collect art <laughs> i collect rock posters i collect mm-hmm. uh you know cds i collect busts of cosmonauts and communist leaders um, tiki mugs, mm-hmm. uh, Aloha shirts that I can wear, not vintage ones, but ones I can wear okay, right. that aren't crappy. And there's nothing more stereotypical than a fat dude in a Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> but I, I like Hawaii. Okay. Um, <laughs> what other things? Okay. I have a collection of Zippo lighters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just on. And sure. I collect mementos from every town I record in. Really? Yeah. So like, That's you know, cool. when I recorded here, I've recorded here twice, once at UCB and once at the improv. Uh-huh. I can't find a little reproduction of the Capitol Records Tower anywhere. Are you joking? No, you just would... by itself. Not with all the other Hollywood crap. Right, 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 right. Just on just its own. Just Capitol Records. That's fucking stupid. So, like, <laughs> that, that one was tough, you mm-hmm. know? But, like, I recorded once in Peoria for something that never came out. Uh-huh. And the thing I got from there was an ash, a vintage ashtray shaped like a fly that said Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> now, if you've ever been to that town, uh-huh. that is very apt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I, you know, I have a baton from when I was at Carnegie Hall. That it's a rosewood handle and says Carnegie Hall awesome. on it. Like those kinds of, I, yeah. I like to collect those things as well. Yeah. Uh, what else? I mean, there's <laughs> just, um, it's, 
it, I collect art books you know, of things I like, and you know. Is there something of a completionist in you, though? Because like I know that's with me. That's what it is with comedy. I want to feel like I know as much as I can. Well, you know, I used to. Before I started in comedy, I ran a music record label, and uh-huh. coming into comedy was an accident. Uh-huh. It was a one-off thing that I thought, ah, oh, this is just a lark, because my label didn't have any focus. It was just what I liked. Okay. So it didn't have, like, a, you know, DC hardcore or Chicago noise or okay. Seattle grunge. Mm-hmm. It was just like, ah, the stuff I like. Sure. So the comedy record was just going to be a one-off lark, and then it wound up, like, paying bills. Yeah, yeah. And, like, then I wound up getting two other comedians, and then those records were doing well, and I was yeah. like... It's time to stop this music crap. Mm-hmm. So I already had a massive record collection. Yeah, yeah. I subverted all that looking for the latest Melvins or Manor Astroman or, mm-hmm. you know, Anthrax or, or you know, uh, any hip-hop. Or, yeah. I, I subverted all of that straight into comedy. Yeah. So, huh. yeah, I, I, I am a bit of a completist. I mean, I just spent the cheapest trip I've had to Amoeba in some time because oh, no. I decided not to buy any vinyl. Okay, yeah. Um, I got out for under $70, <laughs> which is, like, amazing. Right. Because yes. the last few times, I used to buy so much stuff, they'd give me a tote bag. Oh, God. That's and, like, hilarious. slip mats and T-shirts. Like, that's right. how much stuff right. I normally right. come out of. Yeah. So, yeah, I still... Holy cow. And, and it's such a pile of media that God knows I'll get it all listened to before I pass on myself. <laughs> right, Because right. I'm also generating stuff still. Sure, sure, sure. But I just like to know, like, oh, if there's something I need research on, mm-hmm. I have that in my library. I can yeah. dig it out and then research it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what I like to do, because I know... I'm, I'm at the point, luckily, where I've got... I could do podcasts for another couple of years and not have to worry about it. You that's know? fantastic. You know, and that, that makes me very excited. It's but... actually... I envy you. I hear that, and I'm envious. Yeah. Because I don't even get to listen to podcasts. I don't yeah. have the time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, well, and I, uh, I, um, yeah, I, I feel like if, um, again, another brain fart. But you know, here's what I wanted to ask you about: is uh, have you? And I, I, I apologize. Uh, I know that you've issued some vinyl of existing, like na- contemporary albums. Absolutely. Have you reissued vinyl of, of any older stuff, or reissued anything like that? I haven't because I haven't seen the point of it. Yeah. If it's yeah. already available on you might vinyl, as well, right? Yeah. Then just go hunt the thing out. Sure. Um, I mean, it, there was a time where vinyl looked like it was dying, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that wasn't very long ago, right? So I was interested in pursuing rights for digital, you know, CDs. Yeah. It wasn't even digital then, it was CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I saw how much Laugh.com had already sewn it up. Yeah. And then Collectibles Records had also sewn up a lot of titles. And it's like, at that point, why bother reissuing the stuff? Although there's things I would love to get. Of course, of course. Yeah. But you know what I, like, you know, one of the things that actually started me on this is specifically the idea of reissues, that the Smothers Brothers, there's a compilation you can get on CD. Yeah. That's it. You can get a lot of the it. you can get a lot of the pr- albums from Laugh.com. Can you? Yeah, they like re- Purple Onion. There's a yeah. bunch. Not all of them, but yeah. there's a bunch there's of them. There's so many. That whole that to me that's a catalog of of, of records that's probably barn on my favorite. Let me recommend you a book that's mm-hmm. invaluable, not as a price guide, mm-hmm. but as a reference guide to what existed up until 1996. Yeah, it's out of print now. You can find it online. It's mm-hmm. the Goldmine Comedy Record Buyer Guide. All right, I'm gonna have to get that. And it really is kind of an annoying list of stuff, but there's mm-hmm. blurbs about a lot of the artists and albums. Yeah. So you find out about stuff that you didn't know That's about. That's awesome. Like, I use that to become a cherry picker of the really rare stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know? 20 degrees below zero, 10 feet of snow on the ground, nothing moving, nothing, no night fit for man or beast. Yet despite that, here is a little guy with boots up to his hips, galoshes over the boots, rubbers over the galoshes. Three overcoats, 
four sweaters beneath, three pairs of mittens, earlaps for his earmuffs. He walks into a bakery shop and he says to the baker, give me two holes. Seedless yet. Now that annoyed the baker because they had to rummage through two or three hundred rolls to find two seedless rolls. He finally did into the bag they went. He says, anything else? He says, no, just like this, two holes. Baker says, could I maybe interest you in one jelly doll nuts? He says, just two holes. Baker says, a cookie maybe? Two holes. Baker says, you mean you left your home on a miserable night like tonight for two crummy rolls? He says, that's what I did it. Baker says, tell me, you married? He says, well, Dan, my mother would send me out on a night like tonight. Do you have any stuff from, like, the bootleg? Um, I, I found a bootleg Groucho Marx album the other day from one of the L.A. bootleg record labels. Really? And I had never like heard Like, how old it. a bootleg record label? Uh, this one, I think this is one of their last ones. They went out of business in the early 80s. So wow. I, yeah, I want to see that after the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'll show it to um, you. I, I don't have many bootleg records uh, mm-hmm. that I'm that I'm aware of in comedy. I've seen yeah. some cassettes. Mm-hmm. I've not seen any CDs, and I've never personally stumbled across an LP. That's what kind of blew my mind. I now, didn't think I, I'd ever find that. I have private pressing stuff mm-hmm. that's weird. Sure, sure, sure. You know, like there's a Jonathan Winters record that's like super hard to come by. Awesome. Okay. Um, all the all, and you pay through the nose when you find it. Oh, I bet. I and bet. then there's uh, the Friars Club records, which were only available to members of the people yeah. who were actually at the thing. Yeah, yeah. And those are all expensive oh, records. I, bet. I, I bet. mean, there's some Lord Buckley <laughs> stuff that's expensive yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, like that's the kind of crap I'm digging for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now. And then that's not to necessarily share publicly. That's for my own sure. personal. Yeah, of like, course. Like I want to have this, so I have it. And it's not mm-hmm. even bragging rights. Right, right, right. It's just like. Here's how much of an expert I am. I have this stuff and yeah. I know it. Yeah, I like to feel. I, I like to feel like an archivist. It's the same reason that I. I also have a documentary that I've been working on for years about the vice presidency. Nobody knows shit about the vice presidency. Right, right. I want to be the guy who knows some shit about. It makes the vice sense. I mean, you got, there's got to be more to it than going to funerals. Way more. Yeah. Way more. And you know, being the president of the. Uh, of the house is it uh the senate Senate, yeah Senate. that's yeah. right you got to speak that's that's about all that's about all you get really but to be fair there's anyway we could yeah no, no, well, for hours but anyway that's a different that's podcast say, exactly it is and but that's the same reason i feel like i get obsessed with the stuff that nobody appreciates i do too you and know? you know i know i'm on to something when i can't find anything on wikipedia or yes. ebay or amazon exactly and i wind up in a lot of those little corners mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, it frustrates me endlessly <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a, I, I've gotten into what's called Kanaka comedy uh-huh. because I like Hawaii. Okay. It's stuff that developed there in the eighties. It's like strictly for Hawaii and you have to huh. kind of be, understand pigeon and the culture and not just be a tourist. Huh. Like I've gotten into that lately. That's insane. I like things like that, that influence a culture. Cause there's this mm-hmm. one dude rap Ricklinger. Yes. Mm-hmm. He changed the way comedy is done in Hawaii That's so interesting. and he's even changed the language that Hawaiians use. Now, Holy shit. there was a sketch comedy group like that in Israel. Mm-hmm. They were called Hagashish Haiver, mm-hmm. which means, and I'm saying it wrong because I have a very bad American accent because I'm American. <laughs> right. um, I was born here. Um, 
my mom, and they're all in Hebrew. My mom had those records and played them when I was in. Uh-huh. in that was the early, other thing I was telling you was an influence from my mom. Okay. My mom would play those records, and I knew them like inside and out. Yeah. And they changed the way satirical language was used in Israel. So, so I'd already been raised with something like that. So when I discovered rap, I was like, oh, this is similar in certain ways. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, like, those are the kinds of connections that I'm. I, Again, I don't think I could ever write a book, but I'm making them yeah. for me, and maybe someday I collaborate with a guy like you, and then there's this yeah. bigger thing. That's insane. But that's not a pitch. That's just No, me. I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... Like, those are the things that I'm into, yeah. like finding out that stuff, mm-hmm. and then talking to folks from those areas and like, like letting them know what I know mm-hmm. and seeing what I can get back from of them. Yeah, it's a sharing experience. Yeah. Have, uh, do, you know what the, do you remember the first comedy album you ever bought or listened to was? Period. It's going to be either that... Rodney Dangerfield or Eddie Murphy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, it's okay. going to be one of those two. And those, it's going to be a cassette. Those are good ones to blow your mind, though, man. Those are, I mean, I feel like. <laughs> they are. They are. Um, I think the first one I bought, th- those were bought by, like, my brother or cousin and then mm-hmm. given to me. Yeah. Um, the first one I think I bought, and this is going to be awful to admit, but I wear it with pride. <laughs> mm-hmm. The first one I remember buying is a CD Dice. Really? Yep. Yeah. Hey, back then. We've talked about it before on Back show. then, he was untouchable. I mean, yeah. it, it, you go back and listen to it and cringe because it's that ethnic humor yes. that we were. Yes, right. actually, it is because he's Italian. He's playing an Italian cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, he, <laughs> God bless him, he just didn't develop it. I mean, right. I I personally love the day the laughter died, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't love it until I'll call you back in an hour. Back, <laughs> get it? Yeah. I don't like it until then. Right. right up until then, it's just brutality. Yeah, and it's yeah. not funny. Mm-hmm. But that one just breaks you down i mean it really kind of gives you a psychological breakdown if you listen to the whole thing through yeah and get to that one mm-hmm. you start like almost like nervously fidgeting and tears yeah. and yeah and that's what cracked me and made me get it mm-hmm. but uh i haven't really loved dice since 42 long mm-hmm. and uh since then i've just kind of found like filth i just finally got a copy of filth and mm-hmm. i honestly didn't make it all the way through nope. yet okay and face down ass up come on really <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. I love you. Stop doing this to my memory. Right, right, right. Just work and don't put out an album. Be Bill Cosby. Just work and don't put out an album. Yeah. yeah. You can make money working. I I don't need to go see you Mm -hmm. again. I've seen you once back in the day. Yeah. But just don't do that to us, please. Yeah, leave leave, leave your memory as it is. So that's probably the first CD, and that's how strongly I feel about him. Yeah, yeah. And plus, not only that, that record was on Deaf American, man. Mm Mm-hmm. Before it was American. And, and, I mean, you can look at me now. This is the way I look in the Mm wintertime. Rick Rubin is my god, you know? (laughs) Well, not god, but he's he's my hero. Do you, uh, did you, okay, uh, you, I mean, you had these albums passed down to you. Did you make friends or, like, bond over comedy with anybody, or was it too personal for you? No, 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 it's easy to bond over comedy, because, I mean, you know, I'm going to college at this time, you know, yeah. so it's Dice and Kinnison, and, you know, Carlin's coming back, punching from his time off. And, yeah. Uh, it's real easy to share comedy at that point. Sure. The funny things are, you know, I'm exposed to dudes like Schimmel and all that. And for Schimmel, I forgot his name for years. Uh-huh. I mean, he was just that one dude that had that one Showtime special with the joke about masturbating and being found dead with all his Playboys by his mom. Yeah. Like, and this is Robert's room. Oh, my God. Like, that joke stuck with me the whole time until I actually figured out who it was oh again God. later. Yeah. I mean, little jokes, Jake Johansson on Letterman. To mm-hmm. this day, I can't actually speak properly to Jake because... Uh-huh. I'm still 11, 12, 13, 14 yeah. years old, and he's still Jake Johansson. Yeah. 
So, I mean, his joke, like, I love New York when it rains because it makes its own gravy, <laughs> has stuck with me forever. <laughs> and every time I talk to him, I wind up being a stumbling, bumbling idiot to this day. Yeah. Yeah. He says hi to me. I say hi to him. We sure. know each other, but I'm just a, but, a fanboy idiot. That's awesome. Though. So, I mean, it still has that effect to me. And, and, and privately, you know, that it has that impact. That's why this is this is my punk rock record collecting, my indie rock record collecting. Right. Because it has that impact on me. Yeah. Do you, uh, no, I already asked you if you're really sort of, because you didn't buy, you bought a lot of stuff on cassette. And, I mean, do you, well, do the you... early stuff was cassette, like the two things, and then it went to CD Yeah. for a long, long time. And then, actually, you know, you accumulate a couple comedy records here or there. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, I haven't seen this before, digging through the bins, so you right. grab it. But the really in earnest, like, going crazy buying a lot was yeah. right as stand-up records was was starting. Excuse sure, me. sure. Do you, do you miss getting the physical albums well, i mean obviously Ooh, you collect not at all, not at all. i yeah. still get them i mean yeah. i just went to amoeba yesterday sure 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 so to me that's not an issue Do you, I, I mean i guess I mean more like for newer albums obviously you release them but i mean not a lot of people uh, you know well you know find them i don't want to break my arm patting my own back yeah yeah but i mean i started putting out vinyl on com- comedy on vinyl mm-hmm. in 2000 two i think yeah. maybe yeah yeah yeah. and you tell me who else was doing it then. yeah it sounds like a gamble like <laughs> you tell me who else was doing that exactly yeah no. so i to me a, a classic album needs to be on vinyl yeah yeah i don't know if everybody else feels that way and quite frankly i don't care i mean yeah. i make the copies but i make them so that i have one sure if the other ones sell that's great yeah but the re- the really reason i do it is so that i have one yeah you, so, I mean, how much of a collector do you have to be to be that crazy? Right, right. Do you value the sound more? Um, no, I value the experience. Okay, good. That's that's kind um, of the next question. The sound, I mean, records... My old label was called Ism Recordings. Uh-huh. It wasn't called Records because I expected to never issue an actual record. Yeah, yeah. That being said, my fifth re- release was a 45. Okay. <laughs> so, I never expected to actually be releasing vinyl as a format yeah once i switched to stand-up records i was like you know the first vinyl i did was for lewis black's white album Mm -hmm. and it was before stand-up records actually became stand-up records it was still under the old label name which had transformed from ism to ismist which is another long boring story (laughs) because i overthink everything (laughs) um so it the white album came out Mm -hmm. 450 copies with an embossed cover white vinyl Uh uh number stamped on my old music label yeah and it was, you know, back then you could actually sell you physical units. Mm-hmm. And we'd sold so many CDs at that point. Yeah. In the year and a half it took me to pitch it to Lewis. I, uh, and this story is really idiotic. Um, <laughs> the reason I pitched vinyl to Lewis was I had done a record on my old label mm-hmm. where we were silk screening onto blank covers. Okay. So I had about 450 LP covers left over that were blank. Oh. All right. So we'd sold a ton of CDs. I called Lewis as he was on an airplane. They were about to close the door. Mm-hmm. And I said, here's my idea. I have this many record covers. All we have to do is emboss them, get the records printed, insert them. We have you sign some of them and we can sell them and number them. Yeah. Because they're blank. We can number stamp them and all that. Mm-hmm. We don't have to print anything on the cover because it's the white album. Right. Right. So it's all done. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll throw in a copy of the CD and we'll t- peel the artwork and throw that in there too. So people just get it for free and they can assemble it. Okay. Yeah. And he goes, let's do it. So that's that's how. Wow, and it was because I wanted a vinyl copy of the White Album. Yeah, 
I wanted this monumental thing saying, I have done this. Yeah. So we did that. It sold out quickly. We did End of the Universe as a picture disc. Mm -hmm. It sold out quickly. We did outtakes of the White Album as a 10-inch EP called Revolver. Okay. Those sold out quick. And then I started talking to Sub Pop about Mm -hmm. David Cross. Uh Because I had recorded one of the dates on his tour. Okay. And I said, are you guys doing vinyl? They're like, no. I'm like, can I license it? And they gave me a sweet deal. Wow. They gave me a sweet deal. So I did that one and the next one. Mm-hmm. It's not funny. And then they did the third one on their own, but they printed a lot of them. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. we're collaborating now on a box set where those three out, because I'm out of print on a, on a, a Shut Up You Fucking Baby. Uh-huh. So we're going to be doing a box set of the vinyl. Oh, awesome. Um, Jesus. So I did those. I did, And then I talked to Patton Oswalt and got the rights to Feeling Kind of Patton, which he self-released, basically. Oh, okay, right. And then Sub Pop, because I'd already had a relationship, gave me the rights to uh, Werewolves and Lollipops. Uh-huh. So it just expanded, you know? I mm-hmm. approached a special thing about Kyle Kinane. Yeah. You know, I already had the relationship with Hannibal, so when he went to Comedy Central, I negotiated to get the vinyl rights. Man. You know, and now I'm working on Ryan Stout. Mm-hmm. And then there's JT Habersat and the Altercation Punk Comedy Tour. Uh-huh. And uh, it just goes slowly on and on. Sure. You sure. know, I'd like to go back for some of my bigger sellers, like mm-hmm. the Maria Bamford albums. Yeah. Hannibal's first album. I'd like to do those on vinyl as well. And I've always wanted to do eight-track tapes for every release, too, but I've only mm. done them for one right Have now. Have you really? Yeah. Holy shit. That's, yeah. That's I, I, I'm a nerd on that kind of stuff, too. I really like the history of recording. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I actually had my player out here, because I do have a few back home. Nothing on comedy. No, no comedy, though. You know, it's not that hard to find it on eBay. No. No. All right, that's worth a... Sh- is, is but, worth I mean, it's not the best format in the world, and the tapes no. are fragile and sure. all that. Sure, sure, I do it more just, for, you know, for, for the couple nerds who collect the eight-track. We're not going to sell them. They cost a lot to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So, since they cost a lot to make, they cost... I haven't even tried. <laughs> and I only make, like, 15. Okay, yeah. Per release. And they sent for Max. When he got to the table, one of these young Atlantans said, Mr. Max, your food is fine. You notice how I adjust to an area? <laughs> Your food is fine. But I'm going to tell you, brother, you matzo balls ain't nothing. <laughs> you don't know nothing about no matzo balls. Says my grandma and my bubba made matzo balls. <laughs> When my bubba, my grandma, made the masa balls, she was the talk of the South. He said, you masa balls are too soft, too fluffy. My bubba. My bubba's masa balls was nice and hard. You had to cut them with a knife. Little Max says, that's the reason your bubba never worked here. Um, do you... So, was there a period then in your life when you were sort of, uh, when your brain was just into the music more than it was into the comedy? Do you find, is there any link between the comedy you love and the comedy and the music you love, I guess? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I like things that are kind of raw. Mm-hmm. Um, I like originators of genres, but I don't tend to follow genres okay. as much. Okay. That being, like, I'll give you an example. I love Bauhaus. Uh-huh. I'm not a big fan of goth music. Okay. I love uh, Slayer and Anthrax and, you know, early Metallica, mm-hmm. but I don't really follow speed metal or the, the sub-genres. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I love 
early. I follow some hip hop, but I love early hip hop mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, I mean, I like to. I tend to like the origin of a genre sure, more sure. than I like the following bit of it. Mm-hmm. In comedy, I'm a little more broad than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tend to like truth tellers. Okay, it, they, they don't have to tell you the absolute truth. It right. has to be their truth. Yeah, yeah. I like. I tend to like that. Mm-hmm. I tend to like people who dissect things more so than people who just observe things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but that's just me, you know I mean? But I have room for the observational comics and the other stuff as well. Sure. Um, do you, so I just out of curiosity, what do you, can you recall what like your favorite albums were that you picked up today? <laughs> I just really uh, yesterday. You well, I mean, they were yesterday. more like filling in holes okay. than, than favorites. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, Oh, I don't have that. It's three bucks. I'm taking it. Sure. 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 It was more that I, I picked up Kevin Pollock's, uh, 2004 self-release oh, okay. album. Okay. A little off the top. Mm-hmm. I picked up Dwayne Perkins' album, and I can't remember. It's a main. When you buy records, it's mm-hmm. a main. Oh, I like the cover of that one. I'm taking yep. put it on the pile. Yep. And some, you know, you've done, and mm-hmm. hopefully most of the people who listen to this podcast are like that. Sure. Because yeah. otherwise, I have nothing to say to you. <laughs> um. But you know, it, it's that sort of thing. Are yeah. we running long? No, no, no. We're good. We're good. We're absolutely fine. I don't want to keep you too long either. No, that's no, fine. Um, We're not winding up doing shows tonight anyway. Okay, so. okay, good. Okay. I mean, good, bad. I don't know if that's good. Indifferent. Okay, good. I have time is what I'm saying. I actually do want to ask you, have you been to... Hey, this is going to be boring because people hate local stuff, but have you gone to Record Surplus in uh, Santa Monica? I've, I, I don't... Amoeba's generally all I hit. It's probably local, closer to where you're staying right now, I'm assuming. That, well, I'm yeah. in Hollywood right now. Yeah, you're now. in Hollywood. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Santa Monica's going to be a stretch. I, I, I work right next to there, and it's just cheaper uh, than Amoeba, even. And that's how I find... That's I found that for almost nothing. You know, finding out... Well, for that's the beauty... I mean, pop, that is you know? the beauty... People that are listening, that is the beauty about listening to comedy vinyl, mm-hmm. is that most of the... T- the recording industry is a huge monolith industry that's yeah. collapsing. Yeah. Comedy is a fraction of that industry. Yeah. And most people in the industry do not give a flying fuck about comedy. Unfortunately. Fine. That makes the records cheap and easy to get. For sure. For sure. I mean, like, if you want Von Meter, you can get 10 of them for, like, you yes, know, 12 you cents. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody <laughs> had first family. So, I mean, like, but you can easily pick up most comedy vinyl for under $10 yeah. used. Mm-hmm. So, by all means, if you're new to this podcast... Grab ten dollars. Go pop some tags. Yep. Yep. Seriously, <laughs> I, I I think although you know I have found one or two like incredibly rare ones. There's one called I've mentioned this before. And actually, thank you to the fan who uh, listened to that episode and found an online version of it for me while I look for a cheap vinyl version. But called How to Speak Hip. It was a Del Close. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. Well, that one's that one's collectible. So hard to get a hold. Not of. only is it rare, but like the people who are in the second city sort of don't let that one out of their life once they get it. Yeah. No, so I, that makes that one a little. And it wasn't pressed that widely. Right. So right. I mean, I understand. That. I don't have a copy of that, for yeah. instance. So yeah, there, there was a copy at my shop here in Burbank that was like. 80 bucks. Although yeah. I talked to him the other day and he said, I think I had one that's pretty scratched and I can give it to you for five bucks. And I'm like, well, let's make this happen because but I'm eBay desperate. should really, eBay has really crippled most folks. Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, you used to have to pay. Like I remember when I first got the Lenny Bruce records, mm-hmm. I worked at a record store uh-huh. in Lincoln, Nebraska while I was starting my label. Uh-huh. And we bought a jazz collection. Okay. That was monster jazz. I mean, like it had, Anything you'd want on Verve or Blue Note. Mm -hmm. Like, anything you would want. Yeah. And we had it priced pretty high. Mm -hmm. I want to say there were like 40 or 50 bucks a pop for all... And he had all the Lenny Bruce stuff besides the two that he Uh self-released. Like, everything. Wow. 
And I bought one of them. Mm-hmm. And the store went out of business. Mm-hmm. Everyone moved on. The guy who... There were two partners that owned that store. One of them still had a store in Omaha. Okay. Years later, I went to his store in Omaha, and I'm digging through, and I realize the only Lenny Bruce record missing from the stack... Is the one that you bought. Is the one that I bought Shit. when I worked there. Shit. So I overpaid for all of them. <laughs> right. Now, on eBay, you can find those records in really great condition yeah. for, like, anywhere from 12 to... 60 bucks yeah, yeah, yeah. but i paid 50 bucks a pop for them yeah Holy back then crap so i mean ebay has really leveled the field except for the mm-hmm. stuff that's really rare yeah which is unfortunately the air i i breathe right now yeah because i'm that snobby but it's not snobbiness <laughs> it's i'm that snobby collector i just want to have it right right in my library and available i mean i hopefully someday plan on donating this con- collection when i pass to mm. you know like a library of some sure. sort sure yeah, and I, that's you. I, I like to again. Same with the vice president's thing is I, I like to treat the shit that I collect as mini museums. Yeah, we, yeah. We think of that however you want. I, I don't mean it doesn't mean to be an ego thing, but this I'm afraid that someone's going to forget. That's the know? exact thing. I mean, it's it is kind of without sign, sounding full of yourself. That okay. curatorial aspect, yeah, is a great joy of collecting. Yes. Yes. Which is why I collect the comedian action figures. It's the, oh, there is one of that guy this way. Who made comedian action figures? No one made specific ones. You have to kind of, there's a Mork and Mindy. So that's Robin Williams, right? (laughs) Yeah. There was a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure cartoon. So there's a Rufus, George Carlin. Yeah. So there's the Simpsons, uh, 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 Homer had a brother. Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, yes, right. Yes. Talking Presidents has a Dennis Miller pull string. Um, there was an old Geraldine doll. It wasn't an action figure. It was one of uh-huh. those like screen printed and then sewn together. Uh-huh. There was also a talker. Uh-huh. There's a there's a Robin Williams that way too. That's more. I've um, seen that. Yeah. Uh, Todd McFarlane. He he. McFarlane Toys. Mm-hmm. There was a Bill and Ted. Now, granted, those aren't yeah. comedians. I've kind of expanded it to if you've done a co- if you've actually re- put out a comedy record. Okay. Yeah. I have a couple of SNL things that aren't because I wanted to get Jim Brewer and Chris Rock. Okay. Goat Boy and Nat X. <laughs> you see? So, yeah. And there's, there were two sets of Cheech and Chong figures. Oh, yeah. That's as right. them as themselves and them as uh, the, the, the Pedro. Alice Bowie. Oh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah, it was Pedro and, and uh, you know, the, uh, they're typical characters. Mm-hmm. And then Alice Bowie characters. Okay. There's a... Uh, I got the Blues Brothers. There's two different sets of Blues Brothers ones now. One was through Mezco, and one was more realistic. So okay. one was cartoony, one was realistic. But those guys are on the Saturday Night Live record sure. from the original cast. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's little... Th- there's Andy Kaufman action figures, two of them that are for wrestling. Oh, okay. One of him by himself, and then one of him with Jerry Lawler. Holy shit. You know, so, I mean, there's... I just got... There's a 50th anniversary G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. Bob Hope. Of course, because he entertained the troops, right? Uh-huh. So, I it's mean, insane. like... Yeah, so, I mean, I kind of... Just, I hope to display them in my house at yeah. some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mork one pissed me off because it came it sealed, right? So when I opened the package, the the blister came off the cardboard, oh. just came off, and the guy wouldn't refund me. That's bullshit. So getting one of those is seventy bucks, <laughs> and the card's almost always destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, and I like to have those in the packaging just because mm-hmm. I want to hang them on the wall via the little hooks that are supplied in the package. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, it's I'm f- <laughs> in my 40s. I don't need to play with the toys. Now. But, I mean, I, I like that for that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. 
Do you have a specific memories as a kid of? of by the way, is it too dark in here? I'm just realizing this. Um, you setting. know, this is a good atmosphere for podcasting, so it's fine. Good I don't have a problem with that. Um, do you have any specific memories as a kid of like sitting with somebody in particular, like just like some strong memories of listening to comedy together with somebody, my like brother. sitting around a record? Yeah, yeah, yeah my brother. Um, my mom as well with the with the sketch comedy group from Israel. Yeah, yeah. Because I would ask her to put those on. Mm-hmm. I would ask for specific bits. Yeah, you know. So and I, and they're bits that I couldn't translate for you without sounding insane because it's a foreign language sure. and then you have to translate it to English and then you have to try and translate it in English and make it funny. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you lose things in context. But like, I would ask. There was one that I just asked for over and over and over uh-huh. again. With my mom, you know, and you always share like kaopectate commercials and stuff with your cousins the next day <laughs> you know right my cousins are a good 14 15 years older than me okay so i was you know the cute kid that would say ridiculous <laughs> shit yeah. and then they would get me to repeat it in front of all the of course adults. yeah yeah so yeah. <laughs> i mean that was a comedy shared thing you yeah know? the records not so much i wound up being more here you ought to listen to this and i'd listen to it on my own come back to him and go oh that was so great i can't believe he said those words right right I can't believe those on a cassette. Um, I'm getting away with something here. Right, right. There's but I mean, a- Rodney in, in Caddyshack, I shared that directly with my parents because they were in the yeah. hotel room. Yeah. I mean, so, and they were letting me watch that crap. Right. I that was, Boobs, are you kidding me? Andy said that? He was, now I know where my dad gets the covering up the fart thing from. You know I mean? Just things like that. I mean, yeah. you know, things that would blow your mind, that 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 duty floating in the pool in Caddyshack mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you're 11 or 12 <laughs> and that's the first time you've ever been exposed to something like that yeah yeah wow every night I would tell about the fellow in the restaurant who sent for the waiter he says what's that fly doing in my soup the waiter looked down he says a backstroke And I would follow that, but the fellow in the restaurant will send for the waiter. What's that fly doing in my ice cream? Waiter says, could I help it if he likes winter sports? <laughs> now, we closed at the Flamingo. Goulet went on down to Miami Beach to open at the Doval. On his opening night in Miami Beach, he'd sung six or seven songs, and the audience belonged to him, as it usually does. In order now to give his voice a bit of a rest, he decided he wanted to tell a little joke, which he very often likes to do. And one of my stories popped into his mind. He says, my good friend Myron Cohn tells this story, and I'm sure he won't mind if I tell it to you. About the fellow in the restaurant who sent for the waiter, he says, what's that ice cream doing on my fly? <laughs> LAUGHTER I swear by everything that's holy. I'll never let him forget it. If, is comedy, in your opinion, is it better with those communal experiences? Because for me, it feels that way. Because there's the phenomenon of if you're if you're alone and the only person in a comedy movie in a theater, you might not laugh. Uh, I can tell you two distinctly uh, stories of that. At the Dollar Theater, Hot Shots Part Two was playing while I was in college, <laughs> and it was just in second run at that okay. point. And I went with my lab partner, and my lab partner, I looked like this, but without a beard. I had the uh-huh. crazy hair. Uh huh. And, uh, you know, just the unkempt teenager mustache, (laughs) you know, 
and scraggly goatee and just looked like this, but younger and, and not as beardy. And he had a beard and he had that long, straight, blonde hair of like a white trash metalhead. And he wore Slayer shirts. Uh-huh. And this guy is one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my mm-hmm. life. Like intellectually dominant. He just was this guy. Yeah. And, but he was in the physics program. That's fine. And he d- dominated in it. That's insane. And uh, he's still a physicist to this day, actually. Uh-huh. Um, he and I went and saw this movie, and there are two scenes where... And the theater was half full. Okay. There are two scenes where, like... There's one scene where Charlie Sheen is narrating, like like his dad did yes. in Apocalypse yep. Now. Yeah. And then he, as he's narrating and they're on the boat, you start hearing another voice and you realize it's Martin Sheen. Right. And they pass each other on the river, point at each other and say, I loved you in Wall Street. <laughs> we were the only two people to laugh at that. Uh-huh. And then there was another one later, and I don't remember his name, but Colonel Troutman from Rambo. Uh-huh. Um, they're trying to get on the chopper and the two female leads who are competing for Charlie Sheen. Uh-huh. They meet each other basically for the first time. They know, but they know each other. They have a history. Yeah. And they're talking to each other, and they're becoming more and more sapphic in their descriptions of their relationship. Mm-hmm. And they pause for a second. They cut to Colonel Troutman, and he just looks and he goes, "Go on." <laughs> and those two scenes, we were the only people in the theater laughing. That's so weird. No me. one else laughed. Uh huh. And I'm like, screw them. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Another time, walking to class. I was listening to Louder Than Hell uh-huh. by Sam Kinison. It was mm-hmm. a cassette. And uh, he was talking about being a dog psychologist and taking the dog to the back room. And you hear him wailing on the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm walking to class on the busy thoroughfare where everyone's walking. And I had to stop and lean against a telephone pole. And I was doubled over with tears <laughs> laughing. And everyone that was walking by me looked like I was having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> but I just couldn't stop. And I mean, it didn't matter what. I mean, it was yeah. just so devastating to me. Yeah. I mean, it took the air out of me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, screw whatever. I don't care what your opinion is. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. So Right. You know, that actually kind of leads me into the next point is uh, talking about because I don't have this experience, I only speak one language, but understanding comedy in another language, is there any... And, you know, like the idea of having to translate it to somebody else doesn't work so easily. Especially because you're trying to... You mean, like, it's comedy, so it's going yeah. clip, 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 clip. So you yeah. can't... You'd have to take the needle off, because those were LPs. Right, right. And explain why it's funny in some... I mean, if to play in words, I mean, it's I never, a million times harder. Um, being a, a Hebrew speaker is mm-hmm. always sort of... Knowing a foreign language mm-hmm. makes you feel like a performing monkey anyway. Yeah, yeah. Because if somebody knows it, they're like, say something. Yes, yes. And yeah. it's like, I'm not, you're not going to wind the toy and I'm not going to play the cymbal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just not the way it works. Right. So, like, being in that, you know, I would never put myself in the position of playing that record for somebody who didn't understand the sure. language. Sure, sure. Because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy explaining it to you. You know, when, when I was a kid growing up in Nebraska, where I was the only Jewish kid in the town. Yeah. Hey, would you teach the rest of the class about Hanukkah? Mm-hmm. No, I won't. <laughs> right. You're the teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You teach. Yeah. That's what you're paid for. It's I, I just, I don't yeah. want to be... Of course not, yeah. You don't want to be that expert. No. It's not your job. It's, it's enough that I get beaten up twice a week for being the dirty Jew. I'm right. not going to... Yeah. I'm not going that way. Right. Is there some disconnect though in your in your brain? Do you do you do you feel a switch flip? I know that's totally simplifying it. No, please. To listen in another language. Um, Hebrew, it just feels what I assume everybody knows the things I know. Mm-hmm. 
I assume you know the people that I know, even though I've just met you. Right. I assume you're the same age as me. Yeah. I assume that you have the same abilities as me, because right. I know okay. I'm not that special. So when somebody else doesn't understand what's going on, mm-hmm. it takes me a second to realize, oh, wait, I'm the guy that knows they don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll then play translator, which one time I was in San Francisco when I worked for tech support, you know, for technical companies, mm-hmm. high tech. And we were there for Macworld, and my buddy was trying to buy some camera equipment on Fisherman's Wharf. Uh-huh. Turns out the people were Russian, but they were speaking Hebrew. Oh, okay. So I told him exactly what they were saying. I was whispering to him what they were saying so he'd know how they were trying to take advantage of him. Ah. Because in that point, it was a negotiation. Sure. They were each trying to go their own way. And yeah. they said a couple things that I found to be kind of rude. Uh-huh. So I wanted him to know, like, you're getting screwed right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I don't want to put... The position of a Jewish shopkeeper being trained. But, you know, when you're in that haggling situation, you're in that haggling situation. No matter what, no matter what nationality you are, when you're in there, you're in there. So I had the leg up to help my buddy, Mm -hmm. you know. It's got to be a bonus, though, to be able to understand. It's a bonus. And, like, when I'm around my mom, the bonus is, like, I can still practice with her. Sure. Sure. So, like, it's beneficial at times to have a secret language. Sure. Sure. I mean, there are times I wish I could talk to, you know my wife and let her know a couple things about a person like, Hey, I don't remember this person's name. Yeah, I know yeah, who they are, but here's sure. what they do for a living. I don't remember their name. Can yeah. you figure out their name for me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean like just things like that. It's mm-hmm. convenient to have a language to go to. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately I learned Spanish in high school and I didn't, you know, master it. Yeah. I retained none of that. I, I retained enough to understand if a conversation isn't going at a hundred miles an hour, which it always is with among native language sure. speakers of any sort. Sure. I can follow it. Mm-hmm. Like I went I, in Mexico, I went to an artist's ha- uh, a house, a studio, and he was showing us art and he was explaining everything in Spanish. And I had an interpreter with me, a friend, mm-hmm. and I would say, "Hey, you don't have to translate this part. I think this yeah, is what he said." And she's like, "Yeah, that's exactly what okay. he said." Yeah. So if it's slow enough, I can mm-hmm. keep pace, but I can't speak the language without sure. sounding like an utter ass, <laughs> right. ugly American. You the- know, so I'm kind of sensitive to that. Does it help you in some way, though, like, as far as understanding comedy in another language, different syntaxes, comedy's just built differently, unless, unless it's it is, German. It is, but it's always, it's always a rhythm thing. Okay. It really is. Yeah. And, I mean, having the music background was more valuable to me than, okay. than, than the language background. Yeah. I mean, I can apply that to any language. Da-da, 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 da. Or, you know, whatever that person's pace is. It takes sure. a couple minutes to figure out what they're... Of course, yeah. Want, but it almost happens subconsciously for me because I have that physics degree. Mm-hmm. I have the math background. I have a music background. Mm-hmm. I have a foreign language, one foreign language background. Right. So, I mean, rhythms, that all just comes into calculation that happens in my head in the background. Yeah. I'm not even aware of it. That makes sense. Yeah. Let's um, Let make sure here. and if you have to edit some of this out because we've gone afield, that's fine. No, don't worry about it. Okay. I kind I like to let it run. It's okay. it's more fun and people seem to enjoy it. Right. But um, at this point, I'd like to ask people, if no one's ever heard this album before, like I hadn't, and you're you're gonna pitch it to them for the first time. Why listen to this album if you want to understand something about comedy? Why listen? To it's this? a snapshot in time and lets you understand. This is before comedy clubs. This is when you had to entertain at a nightclub. Yeah. So Myron deftly starts this album. Mm-hmm. People are eating dinner. And he's like, go ahead and eat your dinner. Don't worry about right. me. You know, and in a way it's saying, look, you fuckers, I'm up here telling a story. <laughs> Pay attention to me. Stop eating. Right. And the same way as he's... Pu- 
he's doing it so subtly and so deftly, you don't know that he's saying, it's okay to eat, but I'm going to insult you for doing that right up front. Right, right. This is a, he's performing, basically, it's the Royal Box at the Americana of New York, which mm-hmm. is a hotel. Oh, right. He recorded there, I believe the first family's first album was recorded there. Okay. I mean, it's a, a venue where jazz musicians used to play. I don't believe it exists anymore. Okay. I was trying to research. I'd done it once because I was doing some heavy research into the first mm-hmm. family for a while. Okay. But uh, I don't believe that it's still there as a recording venue. It's part of the Sheraton now. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm not sure that it's been maintained at the level that it was at at that time because the 60s Supper Club doesn't exist. Yeah. But uh, it gives you a very keen thing, uh, a keen idea of a person at the top of their game, the type of room, subtly, the type of room that they had to play before yeah. comedy clubs. And the type of circuit they played, because he's talked about being at Mr. Kelly's in Chicago, I believe. Uh, yeah. He might not have mentioned Mr. Kelly's, but he talked about the Deauville in Miami. Mm-hmm. He talked about the Riviera in Vegas. Yeah. So you get to, you know what the top of that circuit is like. Yeah. You get a distinct picture of that. You get a distinct picture of like, you can take comfort in me because I know Ed Sullivan. Right. I know Max Asnes, who owns the Stage Deli, which unfortunately closed just a couple months ago. Oh, really? Broke my heart. Jesus. They had the best desserts in the world. Oh. Um, you know, he brings up Ed Sullivan, and there's a couple of other names. He drops Joey Bishop yep. as a name, yep. so that you know that he knows people that are close to the president. You right, know? right. Because Joey Bishop, Peter Lawford, yeah. Peter Lawford, Kennedy. Mm-hmm. So you, you get these little so subtle, ingratiating. My friends, I'm going to tell you this story, and I hope it doesn't offend you. Right, right. You know, I mean, you get just what a consummate performer you had to be to pull those little deft aikido conversational things Mm -hmm. when it isn't even a conversation he treats it like a conversation but it is a monologue strict for sure you know he's not taking anything from the audience yeah yeah but yet makes you so comfortable so that you feel like you're in a personal conversation Mm -hmm. you don't get that at a comedy club now because god forbid you try and talk you try and open it up the audience they're going to talk to you because they think they're in their living room oh yeah 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 yeah. nobody knows that this is a performance and it's not meant for interaction (laughs) Right. The interaction is you laugh, you clap, you shut the fuck up otherwise. Right, right. And this is from a time where that was the standard, the yeah. gold standard. Mm-hmm. So it gives you an appreciation of how comedy developed on the cleaner side of the sitcomics. Yeah, yeah. You know, we all focus, Newhart was thrown in with the sitcomics originally at first, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it gives you the alternative to Newhart and Lenny and Mort and uh, Nichols and May and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what, uh, why don't you go ahead and plug as much stuff as you, as you can. (coughs) Okay. Um, I run a label called Stand Up Records. We're a fairly large independent comedy record label. Pretty much strictly stand up comedy. Not a whole lot of music, not a whole lot of sketch. Uh, we put on an annual comedy festival in Acumal, Mexico on the Mayan Riviera. Uh, we're doing that in April of this year. It's the second annual one, uh, so it's only our second festival. But uh, we've had we've, we're developing roots there. Uh, Akamal Comedy Festival. Come on down. The shows are free. That's awesome. Um, come down to paradise and enjoy some comedy. Uh, what else? Buy stand up records. <laughs> Buy stand up records. Buy stand-up records. Um, Standuprecords.com is an out-of-date website. We're trying to overhaul it. Designers had some issues. 
um, please look at our Wikipedia entry because that'll tell you everything about what's current in our discography. You're not going to get a lot of history, but you're going to get our discography. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Is it I on think Twitter, Facebook? We're on Twitter at Stand Up Records. We're on Facebook, st- um, uh, facebook.com slash Records all run together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's... that's got. Oh, we're going to be doing some unofficial showcases at South by Southwest as well. Awesome. Yeah, that's I so think that's cool. everything I could possibly... That's fine. You know. Yeah. All right. If you think of anything else, let me know, and I'll put, Absolutely. It, I'll put it on the website. Thank you so much for doing. This. Thanks for having me. I hope we get to do it again. I'm sorry. We maybe we'll do Myron's second one, so I can focus more on him again on the next one. And that's, that's so much. That, you here's me. the thing. That's what always happens. I mean, the whole point of this is people's influences, and that's what I want to talk about. But when they come back, we do end up concentrating a little more on the. And James Urbaniak came back. We talked way more about the Odd Couple than we did about him. Ah. It was weird. It was good. It was the Odd Couple sings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty good episode. And uh, yeah, so. Whatever. You're obviously welcome to come back. Excellent. I I hope to do it every time I come to town. Good. Good. That'd be awesome. Excellent. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, rate us highly, and write your reviews. You can follow us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl and Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl. Me only thing that kept me afloat was only me coconut.